Welcome to Hadley Presents. I'm your host, Ricky Enger, inviting you to sit back, relax, and enjoy a conversation with the experts. In this episode, blind poet Dave Steele joins us to share his story. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you so much for having me, Ricky. We are delighted to have you um, here at Hadley. We have actually followed your work for quite a while and really, really love it. And uh, recently we shared one of your poems on our Facebook page and turns out a lot of other people resonate with it as well. So this is perfect just to have you on to chat with us, to share your story with our audience. And maybe we can get a little poem from you a bit later in the show. So yeah, so glad to have you. Yeah, absolutely. And I really, really appreciate, you know, you sharing the poem. So I guess before we kind of talk about what you do now, which is you you do write a lot of awesome poetry and share it with people. Uh, this all started, you know, at some point, and I think it came about because of vision loss that you experienced. And so maybe we'll just start with your sharing a bit about what that was like when it happened, sort of what the process was initially for you. Sure. So I have a condition I'm sure quite a lot of your listeners will be uh, familiar with called retinitis pigmentosa, or RP for short. RP, for those that don't know, is a uh, hereditary condition uh, in most cases. Um, it is uh, a, actually a name for a, a collection of different eye diseases that kind of deteriorate in a very, very similar way. Uh, there's no treatment or cure for RP. And the way you tend to lose your sight is it starts off generally with night blindness. So struggling from light to dark places. And then you start to lose your peripheral vision. So maybe you've heard the phrase tunnel vision, which is similar to RP. It's like a tunnel closing inwards. Then you start to lose your central and often it results in complete blindness. Uh, The way I first heard about it was when I was probably about seven years old, my sister, one of my sisters was the first one to be diagnosed with it in the early 80s. And back then they didn't really know a lot about the condition, but I remember going to my local eye hospital with the rest of the family to be tested, having these drops put in my eyes, uh, which made my vision go blurry, which I I now know to be dilating drops because I have them at every single checkup I go to. But, you know, other than kind of that appointment when I was seven years old, after that, I didn't really hear any, any talk of RP. It was just kind of, you know, kept from me. There was maybe conversations that went on in the background, but I was kind of too young to, to know about it. And then, I just kind of got on with my life. Um, Looking back now, I probably had the early onset of it from my early 20s, that kind of struggling from light to dark places. But it was a very, very slight adjustment and one that I didn't actually at the time kind of put down to RP. I just kind of adjusted, took a couple of seconds and, and kind of got on with things. And then the way it all kind of changed for me when I was officially diagnosed was around about nine years ago. So in my late 30s. I used to go and get my eyes checked every couple of years just to make sure I was good for driving and things like that. Um, when I went for a routine eye exam, the optician looked into the back of my eyes and immediately there was this kind of pause. And he just kind of said, oh, you know, there's been a bit of a change since the last time we saw you. We need to run a couple of more tests. So they went and uh, asked me to do a peripheral vis- visual field test, which is for those that don't know, they kind of put me on this machine testing each eye i had to hold this button 
And every time a light went off in my peripheral vision, I had to click the button to kind of, you know, signify that I'd seen it. But the test started and I was just sat there holding the button and not clicking it. And this kind of realization of what was happening to me all of a sudden kind of swept over me. Um, my wife, Amy, who was now my fiance at the time, we just kind of, I just proposed to her and we were just saving to get married. We had our son who was about seven, eight months old at the time. He was uh, sat outside with Amy in, in, in his car seat uh, in the waiting room. And I had to walk out of the waiting room uh, being told that I had to stop driving straight away. I was being referred to a retinal specialist. And literally about two weeks later, uh, I was declared uh, severely sight impaired or, you know, is, is there legally blind? Wow. And just to go from not realizing because it was happening so gradually to suddenly realizing that I guess quite a bit had changed and you were in a completely different place than you were just walking in to that appointment. I know one thing that we hear a lot, uh, it's really common regardless of what the reason is for your vision loss, there are always just so many emotions that surround the whole process of vision loss and adjusting to it. And I think people process that in a lot of different ways. How did you kind of stumble on or happen upon poetry as a way to channel some of these emotions that you were going through? Well, the way it kind of happened, I mean, you couldn't actually write it. It's, it's so strange, kind of my story and the way it's developed. From that kind of the moment of that appointment, it was almost like a veil came down. You said, obviously, you know, you hear a lot of similar stories from people with regards to, you know, how they are when they're when they're um, diagnosed. And a thing like RP is such a very slow and gradual loss uh, that happened over many years, probably from my early 20s, as I said. And the strange thing is that the brain does this really unusual thing when you walk into a room, and this this is for fully sighted people as well as visually impaired people, when you walk into a room, you, your brain subconsciously scans what's in the room, and often it fills in the blanks for what your eyes can't see. So sometimes people who are visually impaired feel like they can see more than they actually can until they're actually physically, you know, tested under these kind of conditions. And you know, from that moment of being tested, it was like almost all of a sudden the veil came down and. I started to realize that I couldn't see as much as I thought I could. And I was probably in denial a little bit. But what happened after that appointment was a really kind of tough eight or nine months. I was working in car sales at the time. Um, and I was also working as a singer. And everything that I did as far as employment involved me driving around and getting myself around independently. And the minute I was told I was unable to drive anymore, my employer let me go. So I lost my job. I couldn't do the gigs that I was doing singing anymore. I couldn't drive up to Scotland where my daughter from a previous relationship was living and pick her up. So I wasn't able to see her for a little while. We applied for support through the, you know, the government and the benefits system, but there was a nine month kind of process procedure waiting list to kind of get and receive help and a payment. Um, so we lost our house. We had to feed our kids on, you know, food banks and food parcels for a little while. And I was struggling, you know, not just with depression and anxiety because of the sight that I was losing, because stress adds to that as well, but also for the financial pressure it was putting on my family. And it was when I was at my lowest that I was invited to a support group after speaking to some people online. And when I kind of said I'd go to this support group, I was really anxious 
about going to it because it was going to be my first time being around other visually impaired people, people with canes and guide dogs. It was like a glimpse into the future. But um, when the organizers of this support group heard that I had previously worked as a singer, they said to me, would you, uh, would you come and sing some songs and be the entertainment for the support group? And that, that kind of immediately took away that anxiety for me because that was my comfort zone, being in that kind of role. So, yeah, the poetry, the way it came about was literally the night before going to the support group, I was in bed going over ideas of songs to sing. And I just thought it'd be really cool if I could take a song that everyone knows, but change the words. So I chose Stand By Me by Benny King because the, the opening line of when the night has come and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see, that was kind of like the night blindness aspect of RP for me. Uh, so I rewrote the song, changed the lyrics up, called it Stand By Me RP, performed it the following day. And immediately when I sang that song, people were coming up to me really emotional, saying that the words that I'd written was able to describe how they were feeling about their experiences with low vision and blindness um and it was really helping them and and that kind of was the first time since my diagnosis that i felt like oh okay this is something that i could do now this is something that i could you know have a place in the world for and and, and be of value because from that moment of diagnosis i went through that whole thing of you know loss of confidence loss of independence loss of pride uh loss of purpose uh, but you know hearing the response to that song from people kind of triggered something in me and uh, and I got my purpose back and and that was where I started to write every day sharing the good and bad experience of, of everything that we were going through because music and poetry it's the same thing to me it's song lyrics and it has that ability to impact people and make people feel something more than just kind of speaking about it, it could ever do what an amazing story and it it sounds like you honestly did kind of stumble into it. It was just a thing that by happenstance, you were asked to do something that was within your comfort zone. And then you found that what you were doing wasn't just therapy for yourself. Because I think a lot of people will process things differently. Again, where they say, I have some sort of self-care that I need to do, but this is mine. I'm not really ready to share that with other people. And for you, it sounds like you immediately went from having discovered this thing to it's your purpose. And you kind of saw that just immediate feedback of this isn't just helping me, it's helping other people. I love it. I think with my past previous to sight loss, I spent a lot of years in, in my you know, kind of formative years, my late teens, early 20s, where I was alone a lot, didn't have a home. I ended up homeless quite a few times. There was, you know, times I was really struggling with my mental health. There was suicide attempts. I went through a really rough time. And, and actually, those things made me stronger. And, you know, the way I look at it now is the things that we go through in our past give us the armor and the tools to face the things we yet to face going forward. So, you know, that's why now kind of fast forward I had this kind of ability to, you know, when I have a bad day, we all have our bad days still, whether you're affected by low vision or blindness or whatever. But when I have what I call my bad eye days and I'm really struggling with anxiety or making an adjustment, I am now in a place where I can go, okay, I can take this negative thing that I'm feeling, I can put it into a piece of poetry and it will help someone. And that's helps me. And, and it's, a, you know, it's a really cool thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I know that vision loss is never 
you go through something and then it's done. You're at the end of it. You've processed it. It can be you have a day where you feel on top of the world and then you have one of those days where it just feels like everything is too much. And so um, drawing on that strength of I've gone through tough times before, I can do this again. Is that the thing that you think has really helped you on this journey? Is there anything else that you could point to where on your bad days you say, this particular thing will help me get through it and I know it's going to be better tomorrow or the next day? Yeah, 100%. There's, I mean, obviously, there's drawing on past experiences. The, the way I look at things now is as it ever first seems it would be. So, you know, we get anxious about going to busy places, places we feel uncomfortable, taking that first step outside of our doors. And as a parent, you know, we tell our children the same thing when they're trying something new for the first time, that actually, you know, once you do something, it's never as scary as you build it up in your mind. And that's true about these things that we experience in disability and sight loss and uh, and whatever else we go through. So, you know, knowing that it's it's never as scary. And also, you know, most of the times we really struggle, actually, it's it's down to us being uh, frustrated and and being hard on ourselves. And actually, I tell people, you know, just remember that these things that you're feeling are actually perfectly normal and perfectly natural. Don't be too hard on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Take it. Take your time to breathe, grieve, do whatever you need to do. And, and, and always know that like anything in life, it will pass. You know, the, the bad days, they always pass. Yeah, that's fantastic advice. Uh, I think we could all be a little kinder to ourselves, regardless of what it is that we're that we're going through. And just, yeah, being willing to try it, whatever it is, it's not going to be as scary as the imagination is a wonderful thing, but it could be a, a, a terrible thing at times as well, because you build up so many things in your mind and turns out it was nothing like that. So we have talked a lot about your poetry, but we haven't actually gotten a sample of it just yet. And I think listeners are on the edge of their seats, hoping that we'll do that. So I'm wondering if you would be willing to just share something that you've written with us. Absolutely. Of course, Will. This poem uh, is called Blind Perceptions. And when I originally wrote it a couple of years ago, uh, one of my friends in, in America said to me that actually it really describes quite a lot of aspects of living with low vision and blindness. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be able to relate to this. And it goes like this. I know there's strength inside of you, though all you feel is numb. Don't be afraid as eyesight fades for what is still to come. You will adjust. In these words, trust, we share these tunneled eyes. A mix of strength and anxiousness, the same in me applies. My shins are full of bruises and my confidence misplaced. At times, self-isolated, felt the world too much to face. So I'm here to remind you, all the times we fail don't matter. There's lots of misconceptions still. Let's remind them of the latter. It's not that complicated to change how blindness is defined. Let's educate, articulate the many ways we're blind. It's never all or nothing, many shades and different views. Yet there's this stereotype they keep on printing in the news. No wonder some of us have fears when out in crowded place. They see the cane but can't explain why we look them in the face. There's some of us who stay at home, convinced of the excuse that because we don't look blind enough, 
there's a need to be recluse. Don't waste your life on people whose opinions are way off. Just swipe your cane with courage. Hold your head with pride aloft. So never doubt what we're about, despite what some believe. Come join me on my mission and change the way we are perceived. I won't let the haze that fills my eyes consume the rest of me. There's more to life than edge of knife, despite what I can't see. Try not to care as people stare with looks of vague suspicion. But why should I explain to them the terms of my condition? Though it's much simpler to stay home, won't waste another day. Their pity's just an obstacle that's getting in my way. And though I am blind, won't be confined by others' misconceptions. This poetry that spills from me will change their blind perceptions. Though anxious chest and days depressed have far from disappeared, I've learned to breathe while I still grieve. Control these things, I fear. My kids look on, not on what's gone. But all each day I teach. For if tomorrow their eyes pay, life's dreams are still in reach. So I'll not cry as vision dies, won't focus on the blur. No point in holding on to how those days and eyes once were. There you go. Bravo. Love it. Thank you so much. And uh, something tells me there's plenty more where that came from. So for people who want to find out what you're doing, what's going on in your world, and of course, get access to the poems that you choose to share, where can they do that? So I'm in a really fortunate position now where literally if you type in The Blind Poet onto Google, all this stuff will come up. But The Blind Poet, Dave Steele on, on all social media, Instagram, Facebook, and, and the likes of. Also, my website is theblindpoet.net. But, you know, with regards to literature, you know, I've released four books now um, and counting uh, more to come. Three, which were named after that song, Stand By Me RP, volumes one, two and three, which are just collections of poetry going right from the start of my diagnosis all the way through. And the latest one that came out just last year was my first children's book, which is called Austin's Amazing Adventures, which is um, a book based on my son, Austin. In the book, he's a young visually impaired boy with his best friend, his guide dog. And it's about helping uh, children with disabilities be better understood and breaking down those needless social barriers. And it's, you know, short poetic stories. And uh, yeah, so really, really proud of all those. But yeah, if, check me out and send me a message anytime. Fantastic. And we'll have all that information in the show notes. So you all can check it out as well. Dave, I so appreciate your stopping by sharing your story, your poetry with us. It is so much appreciated and I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Got something to say? Share your thoughts about this episode of Hadley Presents or make suggestions for future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at podcast at hadley.edu. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at hadley.edu. Or leave us a message at 847-784-2870. Thanks for listening.